0: What happens when you leave your comfort zone, travel to another country, interact with a different culture, a new language, and unique ways of life? Now let's take that a step further. Imagine you are in a place that many would be very afraid to visit, finding yourself in situations like nothing you've ever experienced. How do you trust yourself to make the right decisions? You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories.
1: I really had to fight a lot of... Ideas that you're told about another part of the world and people that live in another part of the world. I think oftentimes in thinking about the Middle East, we automatically think about how much conflict is in the region. And we automatically think about, at least being at the State Department, about the geopolitical context of the country that you're in. But I think that there's such a human level of interaction. That's so important to get when you're on the ground, and that if you're not trusting the actions of the locals, that you could escalate what might not be a a dangerous scenario in the first place to something that might be dangerous.
0: This week, taxis with disco balls. Long waits at the border and the biggest desert sky you've ever seen in your life. On this episode, a journey from Vermont to the Middle East, mainly by taxi and bus and taxi. It's 2233. We operate under a presidential mandate, which says that we report what happens in the United States warts and all.
1: These exchanges shaped who I am. That's what we call
0: cultural exchange. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves and it is possible to... Create. Oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yeah.
1: My name is Madeline Murphy Hall. I originally hail from the beautiful Green Mountain state of Vermont. I spent time on two different ECA programs, one in Jordan in 2009 and one in Kuwait in 2011. Currently, I work at the State Department working on programs in the Middle East. When I was living in Jordan, there was a semester or a month in between the two semesters of Arabic that I was taking. I decided with a group of three other women that we were going to spend some of that time traveling to Syria, and then I would go onwards to Turkey by myself. We started in Damascus and traveled up through Syria, and I ended in Aleppo. I was only there for a night and found it fascinating that there were so many other tourists in Syria and in Aleppo specifically there are Italian tourists, French tourists, but very few Americans and at that moment really realized how the stories that you're told living in the United States and the news that you get often is very different from the experiences on the ground that you're able to have when you're really able to connect at a human level that people, deep down, really want a lot of the same things to share in food, to be joyful, to laugh, to find connection. And it was really powerful in this ancient city of in Syria having that aha moment. was traveling to Turkey by myself and remember that I had to wake up early in the morning to get the bus it was a 24-hour bus ride from Aleppo to Istanbul and I asked a few times am I going to be okay like this is an early morning taxi Um, and someone said yes people will be up it will be fine and I put a lot of trust that the locals knew that my my safety would, that I would be safe. But I think it was in Syria where I had some of the most frightening taxi experiences <laughs> that I've ever had in my life. I got into the taxi and the driver had this hat on that had all these spinning things on it and a disco ball in the front of the taxi. And I figured, oh, he's trying to, you know, it's it's the night, so he's trying to get, be bringing people home, maybe from partying or, or being out with their friends, and I was petrified because I just didn't know if I was going to get to this bus station safely. So we eventually got to the bus station, and I remember being. Incredibly relieved, but also knowing that I was had a, had a deep trust for for what the the man at the souk or the market had told me of how I needed to get a taxi and then I'd be safe going to the um, to the bus station. On my way back from from Turkey, I had to go back through Syria and wasn't so lucky at the border coming back into Syria. We had to wait for seven hours, eight hours. I was by myself, and then we went from the border and drove to Damascus, and we arrived at about, again, four o'clock in the morning. I went to the bus stop at around this bus station at seven in the morning, and everyone was telling me, there are no buses to Jordan today, it's Friday and I was thinking, oh gosh, what luck. So I returned to the theme of trust. So there are a lot of taxis that were around the bus station. So I haggled with the taxi driver that I would pay him, but only for, I'd pay him, but we'd have to find another passenger. So I got into the taxi and we drove around for what seemed like hours. And I was in and out of sleep, but sometimes it's very hard to fight the urge to close your eyes. I remember waking up and being outside of a house and the taxi driver getting out of the car and I was thinking, oh geez, this is potentially the end of me right now. And it was a little bit frightening, but I knew that deep down it was best to stay calm. It was best to, again, let the scenario play out because I really wasn't sure what exactly was happening. So he went in and then he came back out and his friend got in the car or and we drove to the Jordanian border. And lo and behold, the trust that I had to put into the taxi drivers getting me from point A to point B was a very deep sense of trust, and it really fought a lot of ideas that you're told about another part of the world and people that live in another part of the world. There was definitely moments within both of those taxi drives that I had a lot of fear and then had to overcome that fear because there wasn't another choice of how to get either to the border or to the bus station, short of walking or hitchhiking, which weren't really options. I think that there are a lot of lessons to unpack from that, but I think the biggest one was not just trusting others, but also having the ability to trust myself. That deep down, if I felt that there was really a danger to my existence or well-being, I would have found a way to get out of those situations. But I think that there was a level of safety that I really felt secure in 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 where I was and I think that the other thing too is the ability to really to really sometimes let something unfold that something that may appear to be really scary sometimes really isn't and you have to let it unfold a little bit to then see how you might need to react but I think there's a lot of patience in in both of those experiences that you have to let the process play out. It happened several times. I would say that it it was kind of a reoccurring thing where you'd get in a car with a taxi driver and um, they would You'd say, oh, I'm from the United States, and they ask you, oh, what are you doing here? And, and um, I'd say, oh, I'm taking Arabic. I'm here, I'm really interested in your culture. And I, I feel that in our country, in the United States, there's so much misperception about what it means to to live and to be in the Middle East. And I wanted to really explore the region for myself at a uh, and get an understanding for the local context that isn't coming from from the news or from other sources. And we'd start to have a conversation. I'd often ask if I was married and then they'd tell me that they'd have you know their son or a cousin or someone that they could marry me off to. (laughs) And then often you know after those uh, initial conversations it would then move into we'd go back to this topic of the United States and I think that the the biggest question actually that I got asked was if I owned a gun, and <laughs> I think that it's it's such a small thing, um, or it's such a it's such a pointed question, and I don't own a gun, and I at the time would say no, and I think there are a lot of yes, there are a lot of gun owners in the United States, but there are also a lot of non-gun owners in the United States and I, I think that they would then you know talk about how this was um, this was very unique to the United States and that they also on the other end, see that there's so much violence in the US and I thought that that was a really interesting lens because on the flip side what we often think of the Middle East very initially is conflict we think of war we think of um, a, a region that has really been in conflict for such a long time and a lens that they're also then looking back to us through is similarly conflict but through gun violence that we're um, that we really are are using on ourselves and it's not an outside um, conflict or a, a war or bombs or anything greater than citizens and civilians having having guns and, and creating the conflict. So I think it was just, it was a really interesting juxtaposition talking about, or, or being in the Middle East and thinking about the violence that they've seen historically in the region and around them. And, and then having, you know, being questioned on, on the own violence in our own country. When I, when I think about my time living in the Middle East, I also think of of the night sky. So I remember going to Jordan and, and going to the desert to Wadi Rome, which is this vast desert and camping, and just looking up and I didn't think that the stars could just look so grand and vast and they went on forever and ever and ever. And it really made me feel so tiny in this, you, you can just really see, almost like feel and see just how vast the, the universe is. And I think that that's really powerful. And if you have never seen a night sky, I suggest going to the Jordanian desert and um, and witnessing it for yourself or or any other desert it just it feels like it the sky kind of envelopes you and it's a very unique and also a very comforting feeling that um, you can you know there's just so much vastness and and you can be a part of it but at the same time you're such a small part of it it's very humbling in a lot of ways
0: for Worst, Director of the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. 2233 takes its name from Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. Our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, Madeline Murphy-Hall shared her experiences as a Fulbright Scholar in Kuwait, and a Boren scholar in Jordan. For more about ECA exchange programs, such as what's the difference between a Fulbright and a Boren scholarship, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233, and we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Special thanks this week to Madeline for sharing her stories with such candor. I did the interview with Madeline and edited this episode. The featured music during this segment was Time Train by PC3. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came. And the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tiger Luce. Until next time.